Bought some windshield wipers from a car. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. They're real good ones. I got yeah. them. There's some uh, storms a brewing. I got them on Amazon. Hmm. Through an affiliate portal, and there happens to be one on FeralAudio.com. Yeah, right on the front page. I've seen it there. Yeah. Hmm. I've used it before. How awesome is that? It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Cool. Things pretty happen. Cool. Gentlemen, summer's over. The days are getting shorter. The temperatures are getting cooler. It's November, It's November. Steve. And it was 90 degrees a couple weekends ago because we Here. live in Southern California. Huh. Now it actually feels like autumn. The temperatures are getting cooler. The affective disorders are getting seasonal. And as another year dwindles and we all hurtle, hurtle ever closer to our eventual deaths, we sniff that cool autumn air and feel a twinge of regret for the loss of all that has passed. A wistful nostalgia settles over us, a longing for times gone by and the people we once knew. We grieve the warmth of the homes that once nurtured us that will never be the same, that we can no longer go back to in any, in any meaningful way. Trapped in England with visa issues while most of his British invasion compatriots were conquering America and seeing the world, the Kinks Ray Davies pioneered the use of that emotional palette that I just laid out there in rock and roll songwriting. Musically, instead of continuing to look overseas to American R&B and rock and roll, he doubled down on his Englishness and influenced multiple generations of songwriters in his homeland. This song, Waterloo Sunset, arguably the kink's best. And you can hear how the music itself sounds like a sigh on a chilly autumn breeze. And that's the feeling I want to capture today. I don't think this is the kink's best. Yeah. Oh, what do you think is the kink's best? Should we I'm argue? Just, I'm just arguing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, you see, it seems like you weren't prepared. I like, uh, what is it, Sunny Afternoon? That's a great one. That's, that's a real good one. one. But that's more for summer. Continue. So the feel, this feeling I want to capture today... I like Black Messiah. So I was trying to think of that. Black Messiah? Oh, that's yeah, a real that's good, a good one. one. Yeah. Monkey Man? I, it took me a second to get that. Yeah. It's okay. Sorry, Steve. That's all right. I'm rolling with it. <laughs> the feeling I want to capture today... Portuguese has a word for it. Saudade. I think I pronounced that right. The Russians have their own equivalent, which is Tosca. The Japanese phrase is mono no aware. The Welsh call it ireth. In Romania, the word is dor. The Germans say zenzucht, although it feels nothing like that Rammstein album of the same name. My butt has a name for it. What is it? Well, just like JD's butt sounds, none of those words are either none of those words either are considered translatable into English. More importantly, none of those words make a good name for a musical genre that will make people click on this podcast episode when they read the title with no context. So instead, I'm just calling this genre that captures that feeling the ache. From the podcast that brought you these guys probably fucked and diet gyria. Oh, who came up with those two? Did you say diet gyria? I meant gyria. It was sloppy. <laughs> I'm going to call this Camaro Bummer. Oh, that's a good one. Because how about George Borwave? <laughs> that's not a good one. That's not good because it's not boring. Because this is real interesting. And this sounds very personal to you also, Steve. So maybe these are ache-me-ups. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Welcome to the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We're the only podcast in the world that creates music genres, and we count them down, the best songs in the genre down from 10 to 1. But because we are the guys who invented the term yacht rock, my name is J.D. Riznar. I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm in the captain's chair. 
David Lyons. Stop pointing so aggressively. I'm Hunter. Well, I just want to keep you guys on your toes. Scared because, me. Because we started Yacht Rock, the term we like to throw a bone to Yacht Rock music every episode. So today, we're listening to Michael Frank's Now That Your Joystick's Broke. <laughs> Not a not a not a topic you usually covered in yacht rock. No, no. Well, this, I first heard this. The song starts super yachty. Listen, listen to this. Listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah super yachty. But then it goes and descends into such a weird discordant P jazz song. It's this is P, uh, P jazz man Michael Franks making an ill-conceived <coughs> attempt at cross up pop crossover with this song now. That your joystick's broke. He's cashing in on the arcade craze at the time. This is from 1983. Yeah. It's got electronic elements, but he's got it all wrong by line two when he refers to Donkey Kong as King Kong. But really, this is a song about people who play too many video games are impotent. Oh, still true today. Yep, and it tells a story of the king of the arcade who, despite being hot shit, can't get his schlong to the foxes. Hmm. So, in the Yacht Rock tradition, this song is about a loser, a real fool. Yeah. A vidiot, if you will. Hmm. It's got this great lyrical couplet at the end, too. There in your jeans, that roll of quarters. It's a great euphemism for gene meat. Yes. Uh, which is now the scientific term for a penis, usually a large one, visible mm. through denim pants. Definitely, definitely ample. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound meaty, too. if you will. The sound of this song sounds a little like it could be some Donald Fagan solo stuff, but he has nothing to do with it. The synth player on this album, Rob Muncy, was the primary keyboardist on Steely Dan's Gaucho album. Hmm. And it seems that seems to be the strongest connective tissue as so far as players go. There's actual pedigree here. Amen, brother. Um, this is from an 83 album called Passion Fruit. <coughs> it's Michael Frank's most commercially successful. It was recorded in New York. Uh, which is also why it pairs nicely with Steely Dan's Yacht York sound. Yacht York. <laughs> Good one. Uh, a little bit about Michael Franks. He was born in California. Uh, he used to teach American Lit at UCLA. He transitioned to music where he was recorded with our friends Patty Austin and Brenda Russell and session guitar master, master Larry Carlton. Uh. Ooh. At some point, he moved to New York, bringing his weird, poetry-loving West Coast aesthetic with him. While most yacht rockers are a lot of pop with a spoonful of jazz mixed in, Michael Frank is a big bowl of jazz with a little bit of pop. He's a, he's a weirdo. His music is weird. He's a dork. But that certainly explains uh, his time spent talking about video games. Uh, well, this is an oddity. This is oh. a weird. He's trying to cash into a craze. Okay, so it wasn't like he did a whole album about <laughs> no, it, like no. Buckner and Garcia. Yeah. It would have been terrible if he did. He doesn't get it. He Once an episode. It. Um, I just got to get Buckner and Garcia in there. So, um... It was organic, Hunter. What? It's about video games. This is the most organic... How are you going to have a conversation about video game music and not... I'm sorry, JD, go on. It's okay, it's okay. Well, just... I I just want to say that even though this is kind of a weird song, it still is like... It's got that right combination of pop and jazz to be Yacht Rock, and I think we should Yatsky scale it. I'd give this song like a 60 on the Yatsky scale. Not very high, but definitely Yacht. Well, one of the things about Michael Frank is that he he was known as a folk jazz musician, like early, early, early. And it's real on the money. In 1973, he had a self-titled debut, and it's very smooth and even features David Page, pre-Toto. Hmm. In 1975's Art of Tea, it's a total Yacht album features David Sanborn, Michael Brecker, and Larry Carlton. So this guy was basically Yacht Rock before 
Yacht Rock. He's he's like he's beyond proto yacht. He's like the prototype. But he never came back to to Southern California, so he never worked with yeah, anybody else. He was never else. part of the scene. He went with the got with the Steely Dan guys in the early days and worked with all those guys and stayed there and never came back. What would you Yatsky this one? I'm gonna go with a good seventy-one. All right, Dave. really? Those uh, little spacey video game sound effects take me out of it. I'm gonna go fifty-five. All right, Steve. JD, I'm gonna give it the exact same score as you, sixty. How about that? Not even a decimal point. That's nope. Wow. Sounded exactly right to me. All right, sounds good. Let's get into this uh, genre. Oh, just just real quick, because all of our scores were above fifty. I don't know what the average is, but that is definitely a yacht rock song, right? Yeah. But lower, lower yeah. end. All right, sad boys and spinster cat ladies, this genre is dedicated to all of you. Just remember that your weird Uncle Steve was already in therapy when you were in short pants. I came up with so many examples and so many personal favorites illustrating the ache that I am splitting this into a two-part episode. That's right. Part one, this one, is going to feature lots of country and folk and finger-picking type songs. I'm calling it the Roots episode. That's the noise your man root makes when it uh, gets excited. Part two, uh, which we're going to end up hearing in the dead of winter a little later on, uh, that's going to sweep up the alternative and indie rock artists. Although there will be a couple alt-rock artists that will sneak in here just because they were kind of going country or folk at the time. So, let me, let me briefly explain what the ache is not, because there are plenty of sad songs that don't have it. It's not like emo. It's not whiny, self-obsessed navel-gazing. We're not doing dashboard confessional here. It's not about beating yourself up with self-loathing, so it's not like a Nine Inch Nails type sad song. And, and while there is some sentimentality, it's not wallowing in excess. Like, there's just enough to sweeten things up without overpowering the other musical and emotional ingredients in the song. Should we guys borrow that from Tony Zaret? No, we just know this is going to be real depressing, so we were trying to spice it up a little bit with a tested formula. <laughs> tested by Tony Zaret. Uh, all right, so what are we looking for in the ache? I want to give a couple of examples that almost are there, but just, just fall a little bit short. We're listening to Neil Young's Harvest Moon right now. Captures the overall mood pretty well. It's soft and relaxed and gentle. Little sad, very nostalgic, looking back over a lost love from many years ago. But the narrator has a little too much hope that this feeling can be recaptured and rebuilt with the same person. Like he's actually talking to her right now, he's getting a response. He wants to see her dance again. Dad Gummish, she isn't inclined to oblige him. A big component of the ache is that you can no longer recover that which has been lost. It lives on only in the mists of memory, you guys. Let me download a little wisdom here. Much like that uh, internet dial tone uh, lives only in the mists of memory. For me, the ache is best enjoyed when I'm at the depths of my own depression. Mm -hmm. To remind me of that sadness is beautiful because it is innately human to feel so low. And while mm -hmm. feeling low is feeling lonely with songs of the ache, you can feel that you are not alone. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. The studio audience really liked that one. Uh, let's move on to the second example. 
This is, this is another one that comes very close, but in the end, not no cigar. So, to be clear, this is your second example song that isn't quite what you're talking about. Yeah, I want the listeners to sort of average these two together and find the sweet spot in the middle. I get it. Sweet spot, eh? Yeah. The real, you know, the, the real dark, sweet, the, the sweet spot of dark depression. Sweet spot. Uh, this is... <laughs> that was a good one. That was appropriate. Uh... This is Richard and Linda Thompson with Withered and Died from the album I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight, one of the bleakest in a famously depressing catalog of British folk rock songs. Uh, this narrator has lost at love, has no real prospects where she lived, probably kind of turned into the town trollop after too many disappointments. She just gets her loving from whoever she can, when she can. Mm, sounds like you're slut-shaming. No, I'm, I'm offering a lot of sympathy, Dave, because I really enjoy sleeping with sluts. Oh. oh and, you know, nice women. You know, not that yeah. sluts can't be nice any, women. Any kind of woman which, is a yeah, fine I'm woman. I'm really pretty, yeah. pretty open. Yeah, Steve's, yeah, you're not limited. You're not Very flexible. thoughts. I apologize for calling you a slut shamer. Don't even pin that one on me, Dave. But here's why this doesn't fit. Another important part of the ache is that you can look back fondly on the good times and the treasured memories. Now that they're gone, there's a bittersweet feeling here. And this song is more just bitter. Like, she got jilted the first time around. Nothing worked out after that. She doesn't really miss anything or anybody. There's no hope for the future. You know, it's sad, but in the end, it's a little too dark and awful to fit the sweet spot here. So are you telling me... Yeah. You're telling me that the ache... Mm-hmm. Is a, is a perfect ache song finds a sweet spot where you can wallow in the warm memory of a lost existence, mm -hmm. but you're carrying the smallest sliver of hope in your heart's bright pocket. Hope that life will change, albeit in a different way than you'd want it to, and never without the ache. Is that what you're saying, you piece of shit? Well, I think what I'm getting at, JD, is that everything gained in life will one day be lost. Poop face. Wait, does, does hope... So does hope have anything? Because that's future-looking. Is maybe, it all past or future? I wasn't. It's more. It's much more oriented towards the past. Okay. But you have that sweetness of you know fond memories of things that you know you hope maybe you can feel that again someday, but probably not in that time or place or with those people. So it's not regret. No, you don't really regret it. You're 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 melancholy that it's been lost. The eight, I think it's music that reminds you of all your best that all your best times are behind you. Never to be replicated. Maybe not all of them, but you're definitely remembering I'll, I'll, best yeah, times maybe. that are behind you never to be replicated. How about this? How about this? The ache is music exploring an aspect of depression indefinable by the English language. That's perfect. It's yeah, it's a very it's a very specific flavor of sadness and depression. There's a lot of depth to it. So it's sort of the umami of depression. Alright. Shall we count this down? Let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's get into this, guys. Woo! Settle in, everyone. <laughs> Number 10. This is Towns Van Zant with Poncho and Lefty. Uh, Towns Van Zant was a country folk singer songwriter from Texas. He's held in very high regard by fans of Thinking Man's Country, including Bob Dylan. Uh, he was diagnosed as bipolar in college and underwent a controversial treatment called insulin shock therapy, which erased a lot of his long-term memory. Controversial in this case, meaning that it doesn't work and also damages you. That reminds me of my favorite depression treatment. Oh, yeah? Getting all your teeth knocked out. 
because your her mouth hurts so bad that you you only think of that and not how sad you are. Works like a charm. <laughs> I'll try it on you later. Um, Towns Van Zant was already a binge drinker at the point where he uh, underwent the controversial treatment. He later became an alcoholic and also got addicted to heroin. So he has had a lot of sad feelings in his life. Hmm. Poncho and Lefty here is arguably his best-known song. It's, uh, it's, it's this cryptic story about Mexican outlaws. Poncho is not supposed to be the legendary Poncho Villa. It's just a guy named Poncho. Uh, one of the outlaws gets caught, one of them ex escapes. And it's never made clear exactly what happens, but Poncho kind of gets, he gets caught by the federales and he gets hung. There's a pun on the, like, letting him hang around, which is intentional, apparently. One popular interpretation of the song is that these federales paid Lefty off to betray Poncho. Like, nobody knows where he got the bread to split for Ohio. He lives there after doing what he had to do. I don't know if I buy it, because the old guys at the end of the song still seem to want to go get Lefty, like, bring closure on this old case before they all die. But, you know, it's, there's, there's definitely lyrical evidence to support that in there. I, th I think the, the aching tragedy in this song is Lefty himself, who's in Cleveland now. He had this fun, exciting life, and now he's in Cleveland, and it's cold, and it sucks, and he's just getting old. That past is never going to return. So, like, biting lines in this song, like, they let him slip away out of kindness, I suppose, really, yeah. really works well for the ache, I think. Like, death would have been better for Lefty, but now he's just getting old and sad. And he's in Cleveland. Yeah, anything's better than having to go and die in Cleveland, as we'll soon find out in the World Series. Well, I mean, this by the time this after, airs, we yeah. will know the result of the World Series. Uh, but I just want to say it's ironic that Steve has come here to give us this depressing genre after he's the night we recorded the Cubs have won their first, their first World Series game in 69 years. 71. 71. My math is wrong. Get your you facts just straight. You to say 69, bro. Yeah, I love Seven. saying 69. I love everything about 69. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Uh, I was just going to say, the thing about Cleveland that you guys were doing a great riff on, I think uh, one of the things about this song is that the American dream is to go west. The west is where hope is. And, and here's he, to go north to the he, Rust Belt. Yeah, he went north, northeast. Oh, the worst way to go. <laughs> hey, you guys hear about that flaming lake? Let's go check it out. Lake was on fire. Lake Erie. Eight. To me, to me, I want to get back to the plot. <laughs> Shit, I talked over your bumper. Sorry, it was Sorry. Uh, it said great banter. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's get back to what Steve was doing. To me, doing. the plot of this song doesn't matter so much because I think the emotional core of the song is how when people get old and they can't take their lives for granted anymore, they miss all the old everyday activities they used to do and the people they used to do with them with. You know, it takes on much more significance than when they were, you know, they just seemed boring or low stakes or everyday or just not enough somehow. Even old cops and bandits will feel that way about being cops and bandits. That's right. Poncho and Lefty. Oh, Poncho and Lefty was covered by Emmy Lou Harris in 1977, later became a number one country hit as a duet between Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard in 1983. That's my fact. Which on. one played Poncho? I think Willie Nelson. I don't know. Wait, I know that one. You don't have to guess. Oh, it's not a contest? No. No, no. that would really liven up this episode. <laughs> This is the old 97s with Just Like California. They're a more modern band. They're part of the alternative country scene in the 90s. Uh, they're more rollicking and energetic than a lot of their contemporaries. A real a real party. 
A yeah. real wild kegger, these guys. <laughs> What's great about them is that even though they sound like they're having a real wild kegger, all their songs are like super depressing about bad sex and worse relationships, which naturally made a powerful connection with me in my 20s. Uh, this is from their 1997 album, Too Far to Care, which a lot of people think is their best. Um, I love the chorus on this one, but also I love it because it's a fantasy scenario about California suffering the big earthquake and finally falling into the ocean, and the singer's girlfriend drowns in the process in this song. See, you guys, I have intense anxieties about dying young, and I got medical checkups this year on every potential problem I could think of, and I'm okay. So now, the thing I'm most irrationally wait, anxious wait, about wait, is Steve? dying in the big earthquake. What's that? Steve? What's that? You already haven't died young. You're 42. You made it. No, 42 is a young... No, no I'm no, going no, no. to be 42. No, no, listen. No, that's a young age to die. Hunter and I die. We're still in our 30s. That would be sad. You or Dave die, people <laughs> go, well, they made it to 40. How, anyway. the, how the fuck did I get into this? You're 40. I'm okay with my age and my cho choices. I don't care. You're 40. Nobody would be sad did if you died. Did we die in a bombing accident? <laughs> no, nobody would be sad if you died. People would be sad if you I don't have anxiety. Die. I mean, aside I from do. work. Anyway, continue, Steve. Sorry. The other thing I'm real anxious about dying young in is a traffic accident. Uh, because somebody I worked with like six years... Yeah, exactly! You see, you're triggering me right now. Uh, somebody I worked with like six years ago once read my horoscope on his smartphone. I was like, whoa, don't That's get in a car with your 42. So now, even though I think astrology is garbage, I'm still irrationally terrified of this happening because I'm almost 42. Steve. What, Hunter? I've said this to you before, and you I'm going to say it again. Yes, when you've told, me, you've told me about this irrational fear of dying in a car crash, get a fucking Volvo. <laughs> How is that going to take away my or, irrational fear of dying in a car crash? Or go to the crash? IIHS, the highway whatever, safety.org website, find the safest car, and buy that car. It's That's not going to help. It's irrational. That was a short song. We'll start it over a little bit. I guess, yeah, this is, I guess you know, this is deeply irrational. It's not based on any hard evidence, so I can't then solve do, the problem. you got to do something about it. No, you can't do anything when it's that deep. You can't do anything. However... The anxiety doesn't, it does, it doesn't arise from a problem in the external world. It arises from deep within you, and it will find any, any problem in the real world it can to attach itself to, it doesn't matter, the problem. But if you if you are afraid of dying of an earthquake, you could move to Montana. Yeah, but what would I do? And that would no longer be a fear. What would I do for a living in Montana? And wouldn't I pretty much just go back to being as unpopular as I was in high school? Living I don't know. I saw photos of you in high school, and you look pretty fucking sweet with your afro. Yeah, I did, but I wasn't popular because of it, uh, and many other traits. I was talk about. I want to talk about this song. I like. Let's do it. Let's do it. The song <laughs> is definitely about innocence loss with, yeah. uh, with so lyrics like "Just like California to." It's just like California make a fool of me. Yep. But I have a question about the chorus. Uh, Time is on my bad side. Half the way there just wouldn't be fair. So we're going all the way tonight. Does that does that mean like I'm slowly dying? There's nothing to look forward to, so let's kill ourselves? I took it as that he wanted to kill himself since his girlfriend was already dead. Cool. Like, they're half the way there to dying as a couple, so he may as well go to, go all the way tonight. Well, I think it means he wants to hook up with his girlfriend even though she's... Oh, wait, no, that's not it. Never mind. <laughs> I got a good soundboard for that one. Yeah. Uh-oh! Excuse me, is that legal? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the state. 
This is great. We got the sound. <laughs> Number eight. This is great. We've got the sound effects. So when people are coughing and burping in the mics for real, mm-hmm. you we, don't can, know. we can write it off as... Uh, I've been trying not to cough. I, I, I always turn my head. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's... Is it bad? Has it been bad? No, I haven't noticed. No, I've had you, bronchitis you, for like a month. It's it's the season. It's the seasonal Yeah, thing. it's the dry desert air it's rolling the with the Santa Anas. My, Blowing hot from the north. Yeah. Great banter, guys. Thanks. Hey, guys, it's the birds with <laughs> Hickory Wind at number eight. Uh, I find straight-ahead country music to be hard to fit into this genre because it tends to wallow in sentimentality. You know, because macho country dudes like to repress their emotions as much as possible. Oh yeah. So it all comes out in the in the wallowing. Get me a truck. Hell yeah. Uh, this is from the Birds' 1969 album "Sweetheart of the Rodeo," where they moved into country rock, and it was written by the legendary country rock pioneer Graham Parsons. He only spent about six months in the band, but he heavily influenced what I think is far and away the Bird's best album. Hey, you remember that guy that was in the band for a little bit? He had a lot of good ideas. Yeah. Let's use them all. That's going to be us talking about Steve after he leaves the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, six months from now, we're probably still going to be doing this. <laughs> the 8 volume <laughs> 5. Yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, I found some more. Ugh. Uh, This is Graham Parsons' signature song. He wrote the only two original songs on that album. Um, His parents were rich, but both alcoholics. His dad committed suicide. His mother died of cirrhosis on the day he graduated from high school. (laughs) He is known sadness. I've run out of... (laughs) I'm going to keep doing the same ones. A lot of boings, a lot of laugh tracks. Great. Uh, Let him him go for a couple songs and then bring him back. It'll be a fresh reminder. Uh, Graham Parsons himself <laughs> got heavily into drugs, hung, oh, out with yeah. the, hung out with the Rolling Stones a lot in the early 70s uh, until he kind of wore out his welcome. He died at Joshua Tree National Monument in 1973 at age 26, basically from living as though he could keep up with Keith Richards. Yeah, and that is a bad life decision. Yes. Yeah. Kids out there listening, and since Steve might die young at 42, <laughs> I'm talking to you, don't try to keep up with Keith Richards. No, and don't mix morphine and alcohol. Uh, fun fact well, for you. I don't know about that one. Fun fact for you, uh, newbie Graham Parsons fans. You can actually stay in the room where he died. Yep, that's true. Just call the Joshua Tree Inn and ask to stay in the room where Graham Parsons died. They will accommodate you. <laughs> and in fact, I've stayed there and I stayed in the room where he OD'd before they took him over in the room where he died. And also, you can stay in the Donovan Suite there, which is the the suite where Donovan Leach often stays. You may run into him at the pool. Or you can stay in the suite yourself and fuck in the bed where Donovan fucks. Joshua Tree Inn. We aren't even sponsored by them, and no, we're, we're putting not. out this uh, gold. Hey, yeah. put in put in promo code YACHT. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll give us a call and thank us. Yeah. Right, they give you 10% off on your birthday. This song is about nostalgia for your home in South Carolina. It makes me homesick for South Carolina, even though I have never even been there. But I want to talk about idealizing the place where you grew up, which I never did. It was the kind of town where most of my friends just assumed we'd all be leaving eventually. But I think about the good points, and the best part of growing up in a smallish town is that if you have enough like-minded weirdos, which fortunately I did, uh, the fact that there is nothing going on forces you to get creative about making your own fun. Oh, absolutely. And that's why our level of fun 
you know, what people call fun, we call it bullshit. We're like, fuck that. We can do this better. We can do yeah. our own thing. Exactly. I and like the way this song uses a unique, like, geographic nature phenomenon representing the lost home that you can never return to. I have this friend, Sarah Azrael, who I mentioned in the Hard Organ episode. She's a singer who lugged around her B3 everywhere. But she oh, yeah. A, she has a great ache song that you can find on Spotify called Lake Michigan, which is it's my personal hickory wind. That's beautiful. I'm going to check that out. It's very good. We put on a whole uh, rock opera based on Bob Seger, and I think if we were from Michigan, if we weren't from Michigan, I don't, I don't know if we would have been so into it. Yeah. Oh, epilogue to us making our own fun in high school. We got a shout out in Spin Magazine's Worst Band in America contest in 1993 for our heavy metal band, Putrid Stink. Congratulations. True story. We did it. The loss of that contest is giving Steve the greatest ache in his heart. <laughs> I know that one. Seven. Mm-hmm. The number or the song? <laughs> Seven is great. After six. Yeah. Before eight. Yeah. All right, guys. We're half hour into this episode. All right. Guys, it's Beck with Sunday Sun number at number seven. Uh, I'm counting this one as roots because Beck decided to go back to his original folky sound on this album, Sea Change, from 2002. It was, a, it was like a classic style singer-songwriter breakup album. Yeah, I think uh, this whole album I think, is a treasure trove of warm, sad hugs. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. I put this on to validate my depression. Yeah, it's a lot of people think this is one of his best albums. Like after the the '90s landmarks, like this is usually what where people come next. Um, it's a little bit modernized. It was produced by Nigel Godrich, who had been working heavily with Radiohead by this point, but it still sounds a lot more like Nick Drake or Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Uh, I like the weird dissonance that kind of floats in and out of this song, plus this big sweeping sad chorus about endings. It's, it's 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 my favorite song on the album. It's the achiest. I. 2002 is a really good year for music. For at least for me, I don't have. I this doesn't bring up depression. This actually actually brings up happiness, because I rediscovered music. That was when Wilco's uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, flaming, was finally released. Flaming Lips, uh, Yoshimi Battles, The Pink Robots, and this. Bought all a bunch and and other stuff. I bought all these albums and got back into music. It was awesome after that '90s malaise. So, I think of this song and I have I, it. it well, gives good feelings. It, it was yeah. It, it was also that's part of the ache, though, right? Good feelings. Yeah, we, yeah. We You're nostalgic moved. for that particularly nice time in your life. We also all moved out here uh, right around the same time, and 2002 was kind of like the end of our the end of that chapter of our lives before we moved to California. I moved out here the year before that. I think I was the first one of, of us four. Good banter. Thank you. We're, we're reminiscing on times gone by, J.D. J.D., that's the third time you've complimented me on my banter. It's, Thank you. It's Thank been you phenomenal. So Thank it's you. Been phenomenal. Thanks. I'll keep at it. What, else, what other fun facts do we have? Oh, let's see. Uh, Anything bad happened to Beck during oh, this yeah, period of time? Oh, yeah. The breakup album, there was an actual breakup. Uh, his girlfriend of nine years, uh, dating all the way back to before he was famous or successful, uh, he discovered she had been seeing another man who happened to be a member of an L.A. band called Whiskey Biscuit. Good name. Apparently, I, I, I researched this, uh, Whiskey Biscuit is the female equivalent of Whiskey Dick. Where the chick is so dehydrated from drinking that she can't get wet. Huh, so the biscuit would be her mommy parts. Yes. You researched That's correct. that, eh? Huh. 
I mean, I was Google, I was googling what the hell is going on with this? Why would you cheat on Beck with whiskey biscuit? And that fact came up. <laughs> Maybe she thought they'd be the next Limp Biscuit. I mean, that's maybe that's what horrible, she was hoping. Horrible name. Maybe she got them confused. Ugh. Good but it answer. Was that, it was that she liked being with nobodies, right? That's what. Oh yeah, like she she got together with Beck when he was a nobody. She's like, oh fuck, honey, your music. Your music is too successful. It was great when you were struggling and all, but like your music is just not shitty enough for me these days. But that's the ache. See, because Beck can never go back to those days. Yeah. It's over for him. He's moved on to a different, arguably better things, but he can never be that old Beck again. Uh, I feel like becoming a parent is similar. It's like you have a kid and everything is crazy and new and awesome and remains awesome, but at some point you go, fuck, I'm never going to be that other person again. And you have to mourn that old life and move on or else you buy a Corvette and leave the house for cigarettes forever. Yep. Every, every time I go through some transitional phase of life, I have like all these weird dreams where my teeth start to come loose and I panic about them falling out because my teeth in real life are not... Like, they're kind of... F I was born an orthodontist dream. My teeth are fucked up. <laughs> I've had that dream. It's a very it's a very common dream. It's yeah. Yeah, I, but you know what dream I have more often than not? No. Is that I, I have a test that I didn't study for. I get that one, too. Oh, my God, that's the worst one. Uh, both of them, uh, they're an over-exaggeration of your fears. We're talking about our dreams now. Oh, great band. This is a great episode, guys. At least we have good bumpers. Yeah, these are nice. Number six. They're really gonna help stretch out the show. <laughs> Number six is Emmy Lou Harris with Wrecking Ball. Emmy Lou Harris started her career working with Graham Parsons. Uh, she did a few duets with him on his second and final solo album, Grievous Angel. JoshuaTreeIn.com. I think it's room seven you asked for. See that Graham Parsons ghost. Sorry, Steve, continue. It's all right. You got to get the details in there for the people. Yeah, make sure you know if you want the OD room or the death room, because they are not the same thing. Yeah. They're happy to accommodate either way. Amy Lou Harris went on to solo stardom as one of the best pure voices in country music, even if she always sounded more like a folky. But in 1995, during the post-Garth Brooks era of new country, she abandoned traditional country, joined up with producer Daniel Lanois. He was a protege of Brian Eno, who co-produced most of the big U2 albums, uh, also co-produced Peter Gabriel's blockbuster So. And they did an album called Wrecking Ball. This is the title track, which was written by Neil Young, recorded on his 1989 album Freedom, and you can hear him on backing vocals. The song, right there. The song has all the richness and beauty of those old U2 albums and Peter Gabriel's So, which are some of my favorites musics of all time. So yeah. So those are your my favorite jam. musics? I, I love the old U2 and the Peter Gabriel So's. I mm. love them. But uh, this is Daniel Lanois guy. I'm gonna look him up. I'm gonna listen to more of his music. Yeah, he did. He did a couple more like rootsy type albums after this. He produced uh, Bob Dylan's "Time Out of Mind" and uh, Willie Nelson's "Teatro." After this one. Hmm. Cool. I'm gonna listen to those albums. Yeah, go for it. Um, this album is mostly covers. Um, it's a lot. It's uh, stuff by Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Steve Earle, Gillian Welch, Lucinda Williams. Uh, Larry Mullen Jr. from U2 even plays drums on it to solidify that connection. Uh, it's a really, really good album. Um, what are you, this is kind of... Interpret the lyrics of this song, Steve. All right. Uh, it's kind of some of the, the same 
emotional territory is Harvest Moon, which makes sense because it's Neil. Uh, it's somebody, it's another person trying to hook back up with a former lover. But I think with the way that this version is produced and performed, it sounds like the whole thing is hopeless because everyone involved is a ghost. Like she offers to wear something pretty and white, she's clearly talking about the white sheets that ghosts wear. See, I don't think that they're literally ghosts. Racist? No, I don't think they're clan, clan members either. Oh. I think their former selves are dead. I think that's because... Like they've moved on to new phases of life? Exactly, like... Turn in the page. Okay, if you ever think like, okay, I had a relationship in the past and I would love to go back and spend time with that person again. You... Those weren't better times. They were, they were different times. Yeah. And the feelings you had with that person represent who you were before. So you have this desire to go back into into the, into the time and be that old you again. Yeah, to be but something comfortable and familiar. I feel like if, if you've ever done that, you don't feel the same. And it's not the same. Neither of you are the same person, and it doesn't click the same. So it feels like two ghosts dancing at a wrecking ball and I think I think that's that this song does a great job capturing that human truth that is fucking gorgeous JD white could also mean innocence also that you can if it's, I think, uh, I think and it's if it's uh, ghost then it's the death of innocence wrecking ball could be the dude's dong uh, jamming at her cherry boom no, boom isn't, boom uh, isn't wrecking balls. ball a Hannah Man Montana song where she's Riding around on a big old ball. It's naked. a completely different song with the same title. Oh, okay. okay. So we'll save that for our wrecking ball episode. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have any any former lovers that I would consider the one who got away. Like I have fond memories, but I also remember very good things, or very or very good reasons that things didn't work out with uh, most of the others. I don't yeah, think there it's was a easy to remember. Lost in the shuffle. It's there. easy to remember the uh, the really awful times. Yeah, it well. really is because and you I try think, to never recapture those. Yeah, and I think that's part of what the ache does is it helps you remember times when you were depressed or pissed off and what led to maybe you being a better person now. Hopefully, yeah, you you, you hopefully you grow and change from these from these experiences. You, you hopefully you learn a little something about yourself. Aruga, Aruga, <laughs> trying to pull it up. Trying to pull it up. Old timey car horn. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. He's got a very big smile on his face. He's clapping a lot. He's got his Cubs jersey on. Open. Got her, I got to represent. Oh, thank God. Okay, guys. Oh, I feel the I feel the air flowing back into the room. Oh, I dug deep for this one. I needed I needed this. I needed this. Oh man. Hey everybody! We're in Colorado! Yeah! Mile High State! Yeah, I yeah. know what I'm talking about! Yeah! Nothing chases the blues away like an easy lover. Wait, are you slut shaming? <laughs> no. No. Nothing chases the blues away. It's like an easy lover. Oh good. But it's a positive thing for sluts. Yeah. yeah. It should be. It's slut and bolded. It's they make slut. the world a better and place. Maybe, maybe easy lover is just somebody that is easy to be with that's your lover. Not that she'll just, you know. Somebody that's not going to cause you the ache. Throw it, you throw it open for uh, any Tom, Dick, and Harry. Or any Tom's Harry Dick. <laughs> well, we're in Colorado, America's weedsy lover. Listening to the Phils, <laughs> we got Limey Runt, Phil Collins, and Denver's favorite son, the incredible Philip Bailey. He's good. With the biggest hit off his Chinese Wall album, this is Easy Lover. I love this song so much that I wrote it down twice. I love this song. 
This is one of my all-time favorite songs. It's right up there with the old U2s and the Peter Gabriel So's. I love Easy Lover. We don't need it in this section. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Philip Bailey, uh, he graduated from Denver's East High School in 1969, and three years later he would jo join Earth, Wind, and Fire. No, uh, no water though. I always wondered about that. Yeah. Weird. Uh, he would eventually take over after uh, take over lead after Maurice White's retirement. He's best known for his falsetto, which fits awesomely in duets. Uh, he's also done a lot of gospel work. And damn it, I wish he was yacht rock. Wait a second, wasn't there a real important song that he was part of? Wasn't it called "After the Love Is Gone"? Oh, yeah. Yacht rock, right? So Philip Bailey is kind of yacht rock. Hey, do me a favor, guys. Let's quick yachtsky this song. Uh, so there's no personnel of note on this song, but Philip Bailey is from Earth, Wind, and Fire, which is a very important uh, yacht soul band. And I can easily argue that the production and arrangement are Toto-esque. Absolutely. Uh, and this definitely sounds rich and expensive. It's 84, so there has to be some leeway as it's, the, the sound of pop music was changing at the time. So I would give this a 55 on the Yatsky scale. Oh, I'd go higher than that. I'm going to go 70 because of the Toto-ness. This is right in the line with Hold the Line to me. I mean, you listen to Hold the Line, you listen to this, those could go back to back on, uh, I don't know, a record or a compilation or something. It could go on a record, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go 35. Okay. Whoa. Sorry, sorry guys. Fair enough. It's the Phil Collins. Mhm. I'm going to go I'm going to go just below. I'm going to go 41. Oh man, I wish I had a Ooh. calculator. Well, we'll we'll It's close, folks. We'll average that out it's later. It's close. Okay. Uh, anybody else from Colorado, Hunter? Oh, uh, yeah, sir. Well, first of all, let me tell you a little about Colorado. It's high. It's high mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. It sure is. People are getting high. It means colored red. And has the, uh, uh, as I said, the highest mean altitude of all 50 states. Oh, that altitude is pretty mean. Yeah, and everyone will be happy to know that it was Pike's Peak that inspired Catherine Lee Bates to write America the Beautiful. Huh. So hmm. we wouldn't have that wonderful song. The uh, lady from uh, Misery. She, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, Oscar. Uh, yeah, other bands from Colorado include Firefall, Sugarloaf, Big Head Todd and the Monsters, The Fluid, Apples and Stereo, The Fray, The Lumineers, and One Republic, R&B singer India Iree, folk singer Judy Collins, Academy Award-winning composer Dave Grusin, Russin, and swing band leader Glenn Miller, who had a gal in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thank you for that, Hunter. Don't forget Al Jorgensen, uh, Ministry's frontman, and Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who don't really get noticed for music, actually have a Tony and an Academy Award nomination based on what they've done musically. Hmm. Yeah, Can Cannibal the Musical, too, which mm -hmm. took place in yeah. Colorado. Or, uh, quick shout out to Jason Mueller and John Mogos, one of whom we met at Comic Con. They invited us to join them at Hall and Oates concert in Colorado's yeah. iconic Red Rocks Amphitheater in September. They got us tickets and everything. Very classy. Very classy. We couldn't move. make it. It was kind of a thousand miles away. Yeah, but very classy of them. Let's get back on the bus. Yeah. All right. Plug hole bed by Ocean City Defender at OC Defender. Producing plug hole beds since 2016. Get your t-shirts. We've gotten tons of orders for I'm Bob Seeger shirts. Enough to do a run, but we'll get all the orders we can by November 30th. Then you're shit out of luck. You, also your last chance to get a custom size of the Beyond Yacht Rock shirt for the time being. Uh, hey, 
Thanks to Andrew Campanella for today's Steely Dan themed bumpers. He called these Cornelius bumpers because Cornelius Bumpus was a sax player that <laughs> toured with Steely Dan in the 90s and the early 2000s. Oh yeah, wasn't he in the Doobie Brothers too? I don't sure. know. Sure. Maybe. But to quote Andrew in his email, I play every instrument in these bumpers. He recreated these songs. Mm. Oh wow. Yeah, he also programmed the drums and his girl Mia says number four. So listen to that. Oh, gotta wait for number four. Voice. Yeah. Uh, follow him on Twitter at uh, Andrew, Andrew? Uh, the Mandrew. The A is the the at is the, the at A sign a. is yeah. the A. Oh, yeah. in, in Andrew, Andrew the Mandrew. Mandrew. Yeah, and check out his music at Andrew Campanella at Bandcamp.com. That's double L Campanella. Uh, so, like 9/11, we should never forget our researcher Tim Malcolm at Timothy Malcolm. He's got a piece on our captain's blog at YachtRock.com, trying to find the week in music that was peak yacht. It's an awesome uh, investigation into when the yachtiest moment in music history may have been. Uh, and a lot of you are rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It's been a huge help. Our audience is growing. Yeah. Take a second to review us on iTunes so more people can find us. Yeah, help that algorithm out. Help that algorithm, son. Uh, and soon your I'm Bob Seger shirt will be a conversation starter with other people who recognize it. That was plug hole. Thanks for reading all that. Good job. I didn't have that page. I want to do it fast. I didn't have the page, so I couldn't jump in on that. Did I skip it? I'm sorry. It's okay. Number five. Man, those are great. For, they really are. For the yeah. banter moments. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I printed out the the outlines. We, it's this over, time. Dave. I'm sorry. Lay off. Are, are you done talking about the printouts? Well, if Hunter's done writing me about them. It's Nick Drake with Cello Song at number five. Nick Drake is an artist who the vast majority of his catalog could have been in this countdown. Um, I narrowed it down by... I wanted something from Five Leaves Left, which is his debut album. It's less upbeat, relatively speaking, of course, <laughs> than the follow-up Brighter Later. Ooh. Less stark and more soothing than Pink Moon. Uh, this one has some nice soft strings to go along with the sighing melodies. And this one has always kind of stuck with me. Uh, it's... Not only for the sound, but it's basically about comforting someone who seems too sensitive and fragile to live in the world, and that's exactly what you need when you're in the depths of depression. When I f this is one of my favorite songs of his, and when mm -hmm. I first heard it, I must have been like 12, I thought it was Simon and Garfunkel. Hmm. And I that was wrong. The song is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really is. Fucking gorgeous. Uh, I'll go into Nick Drake's sad history. Yay! Uh, he, uh... <laughs> He suffered from major clinical depression, which you can hear throughout his music, even the happiest stuff of his. Uh, after his third album, Pink Moon, he ended up having to move back in with his parents, unable to function on his own. At the worst of his depression, he was near catatonic. Uh, he tried to begin work on a fourth album in 1974. Tried. Uh, his illness did not allow him to complete it, and that November he died by overdosing on the antidepressants he'd been taking. And his friends and family are still split as to whether that overdose was an intentional suicide or just a horrible accident. Right. Oh, yeah! <laughs> but seriously, depression's terrible. It takes way too many people too soon. Mm -hmm. Real serious note here. If you're depressed and you can't handle it, don't give up. Things will always improve in life. There's always more, better life to be lived. You owe it to your more joyful self to make an appointment right away to see any kind of doctor or at the very least tell a friend how you're feeling. And if you feel like there's no one, there's always hotlines like 1-800-273-TALK or you can text START to 741-741. Uh, and there's also music like this, which is sort of a sonic hug. 
That was great, JD. Yeah. Thank you for that public service announcement. Um, you touched on this earlier, but these songs, to me, like when I would be depressed, like the depression in these songs makes me realize that other people have felt that way. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me feel better. I think that's what you meant by the. It makes you less lonely. Yeah, depressing hug because yeah, somebody else some, is out there yeah. that's had it just as bad, if not worse. Mm -hmm. And feels the same way. And also, uh, there's soundboards like crazy mm -hmm. in the app store. That's, I like those. So if you're feeling personally. low, just, and you need to hear some springs, just download one of those. And boing, boing, boing. Also, you could buy a Volkswagen because that's what they use Nick Drake's music for to sell us yep. Volkswagens. <laughs> yep. Jesus. Yep. Pink Moon. Remember, I remember yeah, that yeah. ad campaign. Yeah, mm. lots of great stuff. So consume. Life is great. Driving is great. Yeah. Nick Drake. Consuming will solve everything. Yeah, and he, I, I and he love died it. at 26 of depression. I love it when that happens. I heard a, a some commercial with a Pogue song on it about falling from the grace of God, and it certainly didn't make me want to buy a Nissan or even remember if it was a Nissan or not. Hey Steve, I heard that you. Uh, hey Steve, I uh, heard hey, you. Hey, uh, oh, so uh, we talked hey, about this before the show. Uh, and, uh, depression in high th in uh, college, right? Is that, is that correct? Fuck you, Leno. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was real depression prone in college. Uh, There's a couple weeks. There was one incident. My 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 Nick Drake memories where uh, like a couple weeks before I was supposed to graduate, like graduate, and I was having all the the, the loose teeth dreams. Uh, I got my backpack stolen at a party where I stashed it under the table because I didn't think there were that many strangers there, and it had like notebooks filled with notes for finals and. Uh, other shit like my friend's autographed picture of Weird Al that I was trying to return to him. That's why I brought the backpack to the party. And it was just like, I just kind of overloaded and I just shut down. And I spent like the next two days just holed up in my bedroom listening to nothing but Nick Drake because I couldn't handle anything else. Um, so I think one of the neighbors found my checkbook on his lawn, but like nothing else from the bag. So whoever stole yeah. my bag uh, from the Alton house at Michigan State, fuck you. And the moral of that story is that Nick Drake made beautiful music that was perfect for emotional states that were similar to his own. Hey, Steve, you have the ache for your backpack. I really do. I want to get some of those notes back. I, I had, like, notes about my European trip. I thought the moral of that story was good. <laughs> Wait. Pin. Pin in that. Number four. Oh. Oh, you, you Good job, went, Mia. You, you, went on a, you went on a vacation to Europe and took notes. Well, yeah, it was a study overseas thing. <sighs> you took study over... No, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, I went to it a couple really parties a at the Alton House, and I'm really hoping that wasn't one of my friends that took your backpack. It's probably you, I hope, not, you? I hope not, too. I, no, I, I already I, had a Weird Al autograph. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought the moral of that story was going to be there are different depths of depression, and... That one was not the deepest of the deaths. No, but but like I was saying earlier with the anxiety, it's not the external trigger that matters. It's the actual emotion it's, that comes from uh, deep inside of you. That's You know it's completely disproportionate, but it doesn't stop you from feeling that way anyway. I had my backpack stolen at Michigan State, too, and I was just like, pile it on, world. Now my back's not as sweaty. Yay! That, that was nothing. Keep it coming. All right. And what's, it did. What's this song, you piece of shit, Steve? <laughs> uh, this is Lucinda Williams with Sweet Old World, which is the title track from her 1992 album. She's a singer-songwriter from Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is about an hour away from where I lived in elementary school in Eunice. Uh, her dad was a poet who taught literature. Early in her career, she was most famous for taking about an average of six years from 
between albums. Um, this album deals heavily with death and loss, and it, it also concludes with a Nick Drake cover. This song in particular is kind of the masterpiece. It was written following the suicide of a family friend. It's a little poem about all the small, everyday pleasures of life he'll never experience again. Uh, I have a friend who died a couple years ago at the tender age of 36, and he was he uh, loved all the little things in life, and it's so sad to hear these songs about suicide where, hey, you're missing all the little things in life when there's also, oh, it's so depressing, there's also disease that takes people who don't have depression. Humanity is a mess. Yes. It's terrible, <laughs> but it's beautiful. I don't know. I don't know. It's. Um, I just wish I could see the little things in the world. Now I'm learning all these lessons about appreciation and stuff, but my anxious mind doesn't allow me to enjoy little things. But that's something I can gain in my... It's, it's a goal I could have. But hey, Dave, you're shitty at facts, and, I, and I'm going to punch you in your face. You know what? You bring it, you bald bitch. Ooh, also, yeah. I uh, remember your friend. I think uh, I met him at your wedding. Mm -hmm. And I think you also gave me a CD that he made, or it was a tribute CD. Yeah. Um, but he was a great guy. Yeah. And also, I appreciate you being able to see new wonderful things through the eyes of your children. Uh, That's something I don't have, and I think uh, it's kind of cool. I, all I see is uh, them looking at me and wanting to scream in my face. That's what they see. Well, that's what I see when I come over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I get to leave. Yeah. Anyway. To be fair, I also enjoy screaming in your face. That's true. You bald bitch! <laughs> I'm not that bald yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you got the hat. You're not fooling anyone. So there is a version of this song on uh, Emmy Lou Harris's Wrecking Ball album. <laughs> and it's also very good. I just got a little, just got a little personal. <laughs> he called me a butt face, man. I told I called him bad at facts. Listen, hey, it's it's. And then he just said something nice about your friend, and he got that factually correct. Yeah. So you really yeah. threw it in your face. Well, no, that was an opinion. Oh, okay. Well, I couldn't remember. There was a a mix CD. I don't remember if it was a tribute or something he made that you gave to me. You gave. Um, Who gave it to JD you? JD shared it with me. Oh. And I couldn't remember. So there's where my facts were waning. Yeah, come on, get your facts together. I'm just talking. I'm just giving you an insult in general. Did you have more to say about this song, Steve? No, we're good. Okay. I just wanted to insult you and be a mean guy because I got sentimental for a second and I thought it would be funny, and it was. It was. I thought yeah. we had a real good banter. By uh, the way, you should. Get, if, when I die in that car accident caused by the big earthquake, you can play that song at my funeral. It's you cool. got. You got it. Really? Thank you. Yeah. That's the song. Cool. Get more, a Volvo. Cool. More friends dying. Great. <laughs> I know this one. Sorry, Mike. Number three. He must have done the Mike McDonald impression in the middle. <laughs> he did a good job. He didn't have to apologize. Huh. Guys, it's huh. Fleetwood Mac with God. Landslide, which anybody who's seen South Park should have seen this one coming on this list. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, this is far and away my favorite Stevie Nicks song. This is from uh, Fleetwood Mac's self-titled album from 75, which is the one before Rumors. But uh, you can hear from this song that the intra-band breakups were already in full swing. 
And this just happens to be one of the greatest songs ever written. Oh, yeah. And it always makes me cry when I hear it. Yes. I don't care for Fleetwood Mac at all, but this is a tremendously beautiful, desperate song. Yeah. And the thing that makes it special is that Fleetwood Mac is so uh, big and production heavy in most of their music for them to do a song that's so stripped down and basic just just makes it all that more lovely. Yeah, very, very intimate in a way that Fleetwood Mac doesn't usually do. Um, This is... This is a song, somebody who, you know, she's clearly breaking up with Lindsay Buckingham here. She's trying to figure out how to live on her own after so much time in that relationship. And deep down, she knows it'll be good for her to grow apart from this dude. But she has no idea how to go about doing all that just yet. She knows that life is finite. Like, I know I'm getting older, too. Like, we're all getting older. And I hear those those chorus lines, like, I don't know, will I ever have children to watch get older? Like, J.D., I... I've barely ever even enjoyed dating until recently, and I'm, you know, it's like, I want to I want to enjoy dating, but I also want, you know, i got to figure all this stuff out while my dick still works right, and, you know, I'm in my 40s, and you can't take will, that for granted all the time. Your dick will always work. Doctors have pills. Also, you're going to die at 42? You're correct. Yeah, that's so right. don't even worry you're right. about and it. That, you're that right. big vulva earthquake. <laughs> I like the lyric in this song. Uh, climbed a mountain and then turned around. It's yeah. great for the egg genre. It's just a simple thing. You can't stay on the on the mountain of life, and that's sad as shit. There's two directions life can be going. You can either be climbing a mountain or coming down from one, but you're never at the top for long. Uh, the loss of that hurts pretty bad, but but there's also hope that there's another mountain you can be going up. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's like uh, like you climb the mountain and you turn around. And it's like when you achieve your goal, you get the thing you thought you always wanted, and you find out that it wasn't, it's not good for you anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, what ca- the fuck do you do after that? And this is really heartbreaking because the landslide takes her down. It's unexpected and sudden. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Stevie, I'm sorry, baby. Yeah, she's just admiring her reflection in uh, some snow, snow-covered hills. Yeah, cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, eventually she figures out that the solution to growing and changing and living on her own is to do a bunch of cocaine and bang Don Henley. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they not have a kid together? Isn't there a story about that? I don't know. I thought that was like a like a pitched yacht rock plot that never happened. I think she. What? I think, uh, I, and I'm, I'm afraid is this to a say. Dream? It. No, but I think. Are she your teeth loose? Got rid of a kid from one of the Eagles. Who wouldn't? Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, late Glenn Fry was okay. It's true, yeah. And so was uh, late Don Henley. Lots of lots of Eagle stuff is oh, great. Oh, you mean Solo. late period Glenn, not the late Glenn Fry. The late period is what caused it. her to go to, to the clinic. With, <laughs> uh, with, uh, I swear, I, swear I threw that out. I read that somewhere, and I threw it out as a storyline for Yacht Rock, and people were just like, shut the fuck up. Uh, I don't know, because sometimes, Dave, you get the names confused in your head. Oh, like when I said Joe Walsh was dead? Yeah. (laughs) Just like that. Little little Donald Henley Jr.'s and Joe Walsh have him. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> he was never born. Well, it means we don't have to prove it. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I I like that there was a Yacht Rock story idea that you never pitched but always wanted to, which was about... No, I think I've read it. Like, I read it, I read it somewhere. abortion. <laughs> <laughs> a great show. <laughs> 
what a great idea. Man. You're a man of taste, Dave. <laughs> that would have gone gangbusters. I don't know why you didn't well, share more. Hold on. Do I hear Rod Stewart's oh, voice Oh, sorry, here? yeah. Why, yes, you do, J.D. This is Rod Stewart at number two with Tomorrow is a Long Time. Uh, it's from his classic Every Picture Tells a Story album. I love this song. I feel like it kind of gets in the lost, lost in the shuffle of his early 70s creative prime. Like, it wasn't... It wasn't a hit, it wasn't already a famous song, but it was written by Bob Dylan. It came from really early in Dylan's career during his like Greenwich Village folky phase. Dylan himself had only ever recorded it as a demo. Elvis apparently heard the song through a session sideman and covered it in 1966. Dylan reportedly really loved that version. There's also a version by Nick Drake on the official release of his home demos, which is called Family Tree. So there's, there's all these little threads between people who have these same emotional <laughs> states. <laughs> oh, yeah, that work resonates with me. I'm going to cover it here. Anyway, my favorite version of this, I listened to all the other ones just to see. I think Rod's is far and away the best. Oh, can I, quickly, on your point there, I think that's a great sign of a song that meets the egg genre. Was it covered by a bunch of artists that tend to write about their depression? Yeah, yeah. Did exactly. Elvis write about his depression? No, he just really loved this song. Yeah, I don't he, think Elvis did his, a lot of writing. His, no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I did listen to that version. It's a lot different than this. Yeah, it's it's le- it's a lot less achy. There's it's, more of an Elvis type swing to it. But I think it's amazing that Elvis covered a Bob Dylan song. I he, I started looking into it. I didn't dig too deep. I'm pretty sure he did a cover of "Blowing in the Wind." And I, I think there's like two or three more. All good stuff. Yeah. I love that. Elvis is a mystery to me. I love this old Rod Stewart. When I was 27 and feeling lonely, though I was surrounded by friends, probably a little depressed, didn't know it, I took up smoking at 27. And I got addicted to smoking because to be hilarious, I went online and bought a carton of these this brand of cigarettes from an Indian reservation. I remember. Called Broncos. So I had this carton of Broncos, and then on like a Friday night, I'd sit and smoke as many Broncos as I could and listen to Rod Stewart. So I'd, I'd smoke like five Broncos, listen to every picture tells a story, and then I'd throw up. And I miss that stupid old JD. That's I, There's an ache there. It's not a better me. It's a different me with different feelings that I, I can never go back to, and that's the ache. Is that why your old handle was Roy Bronco? No, I bought this, the Bronco cigarettes because my handle was Roy Bronco. Ah. I like that word Bronco. I'm a big fan <laughs> of the word Bronco. I started smoking because I won two cartons of Lucky Strikes in a poker game, and it was awful. <laughs> and that's why they call me Dave Lucky Strike. Oh, it's a good nickname. That's not true. Well, it was, you, you and facts. It was Guy Charisma. They call you Dave Underscore. <laughs> Start that one over. I'm not done talking about it yet. Or fucking lions. Do you like to fuck lions? Wouldn't they get cranky? I thought you wanted you to talk about them. the song more. <laughs> I do. Let's talk about how great this song is. It's got that sweet little country fiddle right there. It's got some nice steel guitar. It's got that raspy, world-weary Rod Stewart The steel voice. guitar in this fucking makes this version, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's performed by the faces Ronnie Wood, oh, also later of the Rolling Stones. Uh, Found it. Sorry. There's the... Uh, there's, 
the the arrangement here, I think, just brings out like all the sound quality mixed together. It's, it just captures that aching homesickness and that wistful lost love better than any of the other versions. And you can picture this beautiful countryside where this dude grew up, and you can ignore how miserable you yourself would be if you had to return home to the rural environment that you grew up in. Or maybe that's just me. <laughs> The other thing, I want to talk about Rod Stewart's voice. He used to be a fantastic interpreter of other people's songs. Like, he gives every single word of this Bob Dylan poetry in this song a deep emotional weight. Like, he really feels this deep down in his gut. Yeah, and then he got old and became a crooner and sucked. Yeah, yeah like nobody, nobody accuses Rod Stewart of feeling much of anything about the music he makes nowadays. But this is songs like this are why he became a star in the first place. That, and he's blessed with a voice that speaks to the weary soul. Yep, yep, yep. But he also had a pretty good life and thus lived a particularly non-weary existence. Well, after he, became, after he became a rock star, he lived a particularly no, non-weary existence. No, his, if you look up his, his childhood upbringing, he was very happy. He was a happy kid. He had a happy life. And But sometimes the, it's, that's not his fault. Sometimes the music is for the person listening and not necessarily for the person singing it. So thank you, Rod. Yeah, that's what makes you a good interpreter of songs. Like you can you can find the feeling in them and you can bring it out. Like this like this one right here. <laughs> oh, Andrew Campanella. Um, I'd like to say something right off the top. When I first looked at your two-part list, mm -hmm. I was—I thought you were terribly negligent in excluding Big Star. And then you read the list again. And I got to the end of it, and I was very happy that I was wrong. Yes, because here's Big Star at number one with Watch the Sunrise. To me, Big Star kept that, that Ray Davies-style Anglo-pop ache alive in the 70s, like after a lot of other artists had kind of moved on from, from that sort of thing. Um, they also have multiple songs that could fit. I almost put September Girls up here, but I felt like this one works even better. It does. Because, like, the lyrics all by themselves might seem too optimistic, but when you pair them with this really super fucking achy music, you remember that the only way you get to watch the sunrise is to have stayed up all through the long, dark night. Sunrise uh, Club. Yeah, Sunrise Club. We needed, we needed a song like this to end this introspective, depressing mm -hmm. countdown. It's a great song to end it. Listen, everybody, hug your friends, hug your loved ones if you have loved ones. If you don't have loved ones, treat yourself to a masturbation session to a wholesome old playboy. Just make sure that you go jogging immediately after you masturbate to avoid that post-masturbation depression. When I, when I was in my 30s, I watched the sunrise way too many times because I worked night shift for about 6 out of 10 years. It destroyed my sleep patterns and my social life and landed me in therapy for depression because it turns out that not sleeping right or seeing your friends nearly often enough is really bad for you. What? What? I don't know, it's funny. I heard uh, ravioli. Uh, I remember that, Steve. We didn't see you for ever. No, it was awful. I had oh. no energy. Like, I could go out one night a week, and then I was just exhausted the mm. entire time. It was awful. But I haven't had to do that since 2012, knock on wood. I've basically reassembled my life, and now I get to metaphorically watch the sunrise 
which is much better than doing it literally. You want to talk about Big Star? Yeah, let's, uh, yeah. We never got to Big Star. Let's. Uh, they were one of the first power pop bands, along with Bid, uh, Badfinger and the Raspberries. They were led by a former Box Tops singer, Alex Chilton. This was the original song that convinced the other members of Big Star that they should work with him. Uh, they were only together from '71 to '74. They never had a real big hit that uh, of, of the kind that critics and the band itself felt they deserved. But uh, their albums were kind of rediscovered or maybe discovered in the first place by indie and alternative bands. R.E.M. and The Replacements both claim them as major influences. And if you were to poll people of America's greatest band, Big Star would be... They will start to come up. They come up because their fan base is rabid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know enough about them. They're a bit of a blind spot, especially Alex Chilton. But Let I, me tell you about Alex but I do. I just want to say I do respect them for having some ra- rabid fan base. There's definitely something there. You need to be careful with rabid fan bases because they'll vote the Rocky Horror Picture soundtrack number one in a VH1 uh, g- user-generated list. And there's no way that's a better soundtrack than Prince. But that aside, that's true. Big Star is fucking fantastic. I recommend uh, the documentary that came out about him a couple years ago. Let's talk about Alex Chilton. Yeah, I can get to tell you about Alex Chilton, Hunter. It's real depressing. Alex Chilton's older brother died when he was young, and his early success with the box tops with the hit the letter and cry like a baby helped lead to drug and alcohol problems. He also had a reputation as a self-sabotaging contrarian. Hey, that's my thing. (laughs) No, it isn't. He stole stole my thing. Hey, he's not a contrarian. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, uh. <laughs> Alex Chilton later went on to produce the early psychobilly bands The Cramps and Tev Falco's Panther Burns. He later moved to New Orleans where he worked as a dishwasher, janitor, and tree trimmer after he left music. Uh, Cheap Trick covered Big Star's song In the Street in 98 to use as the theme song of that 70s show and the royalties from that allowed Alex Chilton to buy a house in New Orleans for the first time in his life. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. He then died of a heart attack in 2010 after ignoring warning signs because he couldn't afford health insurance. Uh, you guys, you God, guys, I'm done with the sound effects. You guys uh, want to do this again in ten weeks? No, oh, I would love to. I've got, a, us part I've got a fantastic fucking playlist for part two with all the alternative and indie bands that were influenced by this stuff, except for Beck and okay. the old '97s. <laughs> yeah, quick, real quick. What we're did back make, in Colorado. Ah. What didn't make the list, Hunter? Uh, Bonnie Prince Billy's I See a Darkness. Mm, yeah. I used to listen to that at my lowest moments. Uh, it's so much that it's become a trigger. Ooh. Uh, I have to check that out. Yes, uh, it makes me truly feel alone. But he's also looking back to good times on the thing, so I think it fits perfectly. It's a great album and a great song. Uh, Joni Mitchell, down to you. It might be more jazzy and lyrically complex than it is rootsy, but it's simple at its heart, sad, aching for the past. The entire Court and Spark album is one of my favorites to put on when I'm at my depths. Uh, it always makes me feel better. Uh, <laughs> I'd go Superstar by the Carpenters because I love how sad that mo- song makes me. That's it. These, those are all good choices. All good choices. You guys, you guys got, you guys understood this untranslatable concept perfectly. Hopefully, everybody else does too. Next week is going to be much easier to understand. 
Dave's in the captain's chair with a genre called Africadabra. <laughs> it's artists who travel to Africa. And get inspired by the music or the plight, and then write songs about it. <laughs> One of the two. Oh, there's more. Find this week's The Ache playlist by following J.D. Risner on Spotify. It's a good one. Yeah, it Sa is. Save it up for when you're sad. You'll feel like you're with friends. Go to YachtRock.com to buy T-shirts. Read the captain's blog and see show notes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm for fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at YachtRock. Follow J.D. at J.D. Risner. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow Dave at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like YachtRock on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Your reviews help us pick up heat. Yeah, kick up that algorithm. Rhythm. So let's take time today to give, give us a review, please. Thanks to Andrew Campanella for sending in the bumpers. Additional bumpers by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Dustin Marshall for wearing all yellow today. It brightened our night. Mm -hmm. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. Oh, baby. Oh, baby.